This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Get ready for one of the best programs to hit the airwaves in the golden age of radio. The name is familiar, Gunsmoke, starring Marshall Matt Dillon, played beautifully by William Conrad. The episode we hear tonight was written by Les Crutchfield, who wrote many of the shows. I was intrigued and so delved into his past and his writing credentials. He's credited with writing a total of 138 radio and television stories and scripts for Gunsmoke, a body of work that's second only to the number of episodes written by John Meston, the series' co-creator. While Gunsmoke's the most prominent showcase for Crutchfield's writing talents, he also composed original stories and adapted works by other authors for the CBS radio anthology series, Escape, as well as other weekly radio and television series and at least two feature films. Now, Young Les received an extensive education, although in college, the future writer was drawn initially to science and engineering as careers. He studied geology, mining, metallurgy as an undergraduate, and in graduate school concentrated on chemistry, mathematics, and psychology. After college, Crutchfield applied his training in geology and chemistry and in the late 1930s worked as an explosives consultant for mining companies. Well, around 1946, while still working at Caltech, Crutchfield met Norman McDonnell, a producer and director for CBS Radio's West Coast of Hollywood Division. Not long after they met, Crutchfield drafted some potential stories for network programs and gave them to McDonnell. Well, his writing apparently impressed CBS staff, and he was soon hired to assist in developing scripts. During Crutchfield's first years working for CBS, McDonald began collaborating with another scriptwriter, John Meston, on producing new weekly series. And one series the two men proposed for the network was an adult western that would be uh, presently a, a character-driven Old West stories that set in and around Dodge City, Kansas, in the 1870s. After their proposal was approved for production, McDonald and Meston invited Crutchfield to join their teams. Well, the new Western quickly became popular with audiences, and Crutchfield quickly became a frequent contributor of stories and scripts. So let's listen to an example of his work, now with an episode he wrote uh, for Gunsmoke. It's called Cavalcade. Enter the territory on west. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Could I give you some more coffee? Uh, yeah, I guess so. How about you, Chester? Yes, sir, I believe I will. Now, why don't you just leave the coffee pot here on the table, Miss Keller? Why, sure thing, Marshal. Well, I got some fresh eggs this morning, if you're interested. They were just brought in. Well, good, good. 
Uh, cook us up about a half a dozen of them, huh? Have them for you right away, Mr. Dillon. All right. Fresh eggs. My. I'll swear if Del Monaco's ain't getting to be about as fancy as some of them in Kansas City restaurants. <laughs> well, that's civilization, Chester. Progress. Another five years and Dodge City will be tame, curried, and bridled. <laughs> see, and believe it, Mr. Dillon. No, you'll see it. Both of us will see it. That is, if we live that long. Yeah. I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Uh, you Mr. Yeah. Dillon, the marshal here? Uh, yes, that's right. Well, I'm sorry to bother you at breakfast, Marshal. My name is Hunter. Ed Hunter. Mr. Hunter? I'm a deputy sheriff from Richmond, Virginia. Come in on the Santa Fe this morning. I see. Well, uh, why don't you pull up a chair, Mr. Hunter? Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Chester Proudfoot, Mr. Hunter. How do you do? How do you do? See, it's my first trip to the frontier. I find it a rather remarkable experience. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, won't you have some coffee? I know, thank you. Marshal, I'm here to arrest two men who are wanted in Virginia. No. Here are the warrants and the orders of extradition. I stopped off for them in Topeka. Uh-huh. Yeah. John Allison. Calvin Moore. Both wanted for murder, huh? Hey, do you know these men, Mr. Hunter? No, sir, I don't. Well, the names aren't familiar to me. I never heard of them. Have you a Chester? No, sir, Mr. Dillon. Well, I have some information that may help. Not much on Allison, I'm afraid. He shot and killed a bank teller at Greenbrier last spring. Oh? He's about 30 years old, dark hair and mustache, medium build, an excellent horseman and a confirmed gambler. <laughs> well, that's fine. That narrows it down to about two-thirds of the men in Dodge City. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly I can do a bit better in regard to Calvin Moore, Mr. Dillon. Now, he came down to Richmond from the north and set up practice as a medical doctor. He was about 29 at the time. And he ambushed and shot young Roger Beauregard and then left town. That was uh, 17 years ago. Beauregard's been trying to trace him ever since. Well, I'm afraid that's a pretty well, I have a time. picture of Moore, photographed. Oh? Of course, he was much younger than this. Well, sometimes there's still quite a resemblance, even after 17. Something familiar about that picture, Mr. Dillon? Uh, uh, 17 years. He must be somewhere past 45 now, huh? Hmm. Are you sure that these men are here in Dodge, Mr. Hunter? Reasonably so. Is there something about that photograph that makes you... Well, it's, it's too blurred to tell much about it. Besides, he'd be 17 years older. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I tell you what, Mr. Hunter, suppose you leave the picture and the descriptions with me, and I'll check around town, and I'll keep in touch with you. Uh, thank you, sir. Oh, I wonder if you might suggest a good hotel. Uh, certainly. Why don't you try the Dodge House? It's a corner of Railroad Avenue at the end of the plaza, the east end. Uh, tell the deacon I sent you. I uh, thank you again, Mr. Dillon. And I'll be grateful for any help you can give me in this matter. Yeah, sure. So long. You want to see the photograph, Chester? Yes, sir, I do. Well, well Mr. Dillon, that is... That is... Yeah. What are you going to do, Mr. Dillon? I don't know, Chester. He's my friend. I, I, I never asked him anything about his life before he came here. Didn't seem to matter. But now the law says he's a murderer. I'm part of the law. So now it does matter. Maybe it's not him. No, it's him, all right, Chester. You saw it the same as I did. It's dark. <laughs> Work, work, work. This is the first chance I've had this week to clean a few instruments properly. Uh, gunshot wounds. Oh, man. I'll lay odds I'm the only doctor in the United States who makes three-fourths of his living off of gunshot wounds. Huh. That's a rough country, Doc. Yes, indeed it's a rough country. Uh... Maybe you ought to have stayed back east. Huh? Yes, see, broken bones, babies, and gunshot wounds. Well, I wouldn't know the first thing about a good civilized case of gout anymore. Uh, what part of the east did you come from, Doc? See, I went to medical school in Boston. I studied consumption, colic, liver complaints. <laughs> Never had a case of liver complaint in all the time I've been here, though. No, I guess that kind of thing is more common down south, around the... Uh... Richmond, Virginia, for instance, huh? 
Matt, stop beating around the bush. You've got something on your mind, and it's bothering you. Look, Doc, uh, a deputy sheriff from Virginia came in on the morning train. He's got a warrant for murder against a man named Calvin Moore. He's got a photograph of Moore taken 17 years ago. Would you like to look at it? All things are taken from us and become portions and parcels of the dreadful past. Are you Calvin Moore? It wasn't murder, Matt. They said it was murder, of course. The Beauregards were an important family. Would you like to tell me about it? Oh, not much to tell, Matt. I'd been in practice in Richmond about a year. There was a girl. Beautiful girl. With spirit and fire and that soft radiance that only southern girls seem to have. Me, that was so long ago. Uh, I've been in the South myself, though. Roger Beauregard and I were both caught in this girl. He was a typical Virginia gentleman, hot-headed, used to having his own way. He started threatening me, warning me. I laughed it off. Then one day I was coming back from a case, and I ran into Roger on a country road. He had a pair of dueling pistols, and he challenged me. Well, that's not a crime, Doc. That's self-defense. It's not a crime here anyway. Well, I tried to talk him out of it, but he was crazy mad. He shoved one of the pistols in my hand, and he pulled back on his horse, and he leveled his gun. I had no choice. We both fired. He missed. I didn't. Self-defense, yes, but there were no witnesses, and I was an outsider, a Yankee. So you ran for it, is that it? I ran for it. St. Louis, Virginia City, Montana Territory, the Panhandle, Wichita, Abilene, and Dodge. I changed my name to Charles Adams. And the, uh, the girl, Doc, what happened to her? I waited for her in St. Louis. We were married there. Two months later, she died of typhoid fever. Well, you never know. No matter how much you figure you understand somebody, you just quite never know. I can't go back there, Matt. I've got no defense. I mean prison. I'd rot in prison. I won't go back, Matt. Now, Doc, look, Hunter is here after two prisoners. I got no right to, to my own rules to go after one man and keep the other one covered. I always figured that the only kind of law that would work out here is an honest law. What are you going to do? Doc, I don't know. You're late, Matt. I decided you weren't going to stop in tonight. Is Chester around? Yeah, over there by the ferro table. Uh, Matt, what about this Virginian who's been hanging around for the last two days? Oh, Hunter? Yeah. He's a deputy sheriff, got a couple of warrants to serve. Why? Well, he's been asking questions. Some of the boys are getting a little skittish. Now, there's no call for it as long as they're not named Allison or Moore. Are you free now, Miss Kitty, huh? or are you busy? What's it look like? Well, I figured maybe he was just killing time. Uh, hiya, Marshal. Bunko? Uh, bought you a drink, Kitty. It's over on the bar. All right. Thanks. Matt, I'll be off in a couple of hours. Drop around. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I understand you've got a rival lawman in town, Marshal. Well, there's a deputy here from Virginia, if that's what you mean. I always figured you were the law here. Is he short in this town, Marshal? Say the word, we'll run him out. I ever ask you for help, Bunko? Well, no. When but... a man's short and dodge, I'll run him out. And no offense, You Marshall. keep your own cinch tight. Don't worry about anybody else, huh? I'll see you, Bunko. I swear I never saw anybody such bad luck in all my life. My gracious, he ought to swear off Pharaoh and stick the stud. Oh, Chester. Hmm? The old Jethro Keener. He just lost three weeks' pay. 
And Bunko Benson, sitting right there beside him, mind you, picked up $230. So that's why he's feeling big. Uh, come on, Chester, let's take a walk. Yes, sir. Three weeks pay. Mercy, I never saw such luck. What about Doc, Chester? He turned in a couple hours ago. That's when I came on over here. How's he acting? About as usual. No signs of planning to run out, if that's what you mean, Mr. Don. One thing he's doing, though, that he's never done before, he's toting a gun. Uh, good evening, Marshal. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Hunter. Since you didn't come to me, Mr. Dillon, I've come to you. I'm wondering what progress you've made. Well, I, uh, I'm still checking. Any results at all, Marshal? Well, I don't have much to go on, you know. Now, Calvin Moore was a doctor by profession. He might still be practicing. I suggest we investigate the local doctors. Well, that wouldn't take long. We've only got one, Doc Adams. How long has he been here? Oh, about four years. How old a man is he? Mm, late 40s, I imagine. But he doesn't show much resemblance to that photograph you gave me. Well, maybe you're too used to him to notice the resemblance. Yeah, maybe. I'd like to look him over myself, Arthur. Well, uh, he's pretty busy out on calls most of the time. and uh, Not all the time. No, not all the time. All right, Mr. Hunter, I'll bring him around. That's funny, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he should have answered by now. Well, we're wasting our time, Chester. He's gone. Well, now, he, he, he might have got called out on the case. Yeah, I know, but I don't... Hey, what? Uh, that was across the plaza, down toward the Dodge house. Come on, Chester. Somebody sure is stirring up the smoke. Yeah, that's across the street. Edge of the railroad yards, I think. Yeah. What happened, Mr. Hunter? Somebody tried to kill me. I started into the hotel and they fired from the dock here. I fired back, but he got away. You, uh, get a good look at him? Oh, no, I just saw the flashes. Now, this is an easy town to get killed in, Mr. Hunter. So it seems. About that doctor, Marshal, you didn't bring him around. Well, uh, he's out on call. I think I want to meet him more than ever now. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, there's a world of wonderful entertainment awaiting you every weekday in the daytime with CBS Radio's roster of wonderful dramatic serials. This Monday, listen in. And now, for the second act of Gunsmoke. time is it, Chester? Uh, 2.15 a.m., Mr. Dillon. Yeah. I sure hope we don't have to spend the whole night waiting here. I don't see how Doc puts up with the smell of all this medicine. He's used to it, I guess. Yeah. I suppose a man can get used to anything except dying. You think it could have been him that fired those shots, Mr. Dillon? Chester. Hmm? There's somebody coming. Doc, I've 
Marshal. Come on in, Bunko. Doc's not here, but he'll probably be... Oh, what happened to your arm? I got thrown into a barbed wire fence. Here, let's have a look at it, huh? No, 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 no. It's, it's all right. It's a gunshot wound. All right, hold it, both of you. Well, is that the same gun you tried to kill Hunter with, Bunko? Stay where you are, Marshal. Yeah. Around 30 years old, dark hair, mustache, medium build, excellent horseman, confirmed gambler. Wanted from John Allison. Alias Bunko Benson. Am I right, Bunko? He's not taking it back. You stay where you are, Dylan. Now don't be a fool, Bunko. Put away the gun. Stay back. I'm I'm warning you. Bunko, look! All right, Chester, let's get him over to the jail. Just hold still now, Bunker. Just one more second. I'll have hold that bullet now, and then we'll just... Ah! Add that one to your collection, Matt. Well, I'll make Hunter a present of it. It wasn't bad shooting to be firing in the dark at a gun flash. He'll never get me back to Virginia. Now, hold still, Bunko. Don't expect a man to tie a bandage with your arm waving around like a mare's tail in fly time. See, how'd you know he'd come to my office, man? I didn't, Doc. We were waiting for you. There we are. No, no. That ought to stop the bleeding. And don't loosen it up, Eddie. And you'll live to hang yet. Don't worry about my hanging, Doc. I'll outlive you. Well, in view of the circumstances, I'd say the odds are about even. Well, Matt, shall we adjourn to the front office? Yeah, come on, Doc. Uh, lock the cell, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. Well, I turned in at 10 o'clock tonight. I got one hour of sleep. They called me over to Mrs. Behan's. She thought her baby was on the way. False alarm, of course. Usually is the first time. And I got back and I came straight over here. Uh, Doc, you were wearing a gun earlier today. What'd you do with it? Oh, I put it back in the drawer where it belongs. I realized I was acting like a fool. Uh, was that where you were waiting in my office? Somebody tried to kill Hunter, and, and you thought... Uh, Look, Doc, I, I've tried to think of some way out of this. Uh, a way out for both of us. I got one man under arrest back there now, and I, I can't rightly set myself up as a judge and free the other man. I'd even hoped you'd cut and run for it. You, you'd get away if you did, you know. Hunter doesn't know the country. I've been running for 17 years, Matt, and, and it's still caught up with me. I'm too old to run any farther. What are you going to do? I'm a lawman, Doc, right or wrong. Well, then I guess I'm under arrest. Huh? No, I, I, I didn't say that. I, I just said that... Oh, well, there you are, Doc. Yes, yes, what's the trouble? A fellow over in the railroad yards, on the track, he was drunk, I guess. They were switching cars. You better come, Doc. He's awful bad. Oh, I... I got two lanterns, Mr. Dillon. That ought to be enough. Good, Chester. You ready, Doc? You're ready as I ever do. All right, let's go. Uh, he said near the loading pens down this way, I guess. Yes, sir. It looks like some lights over there. People around. Marshal, is that you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, Hunter. Uh, I thought you went to bed hours ago. I'm a light sleeper, Mr. Dillon. I heard there's an accident over in the yards. Thought it might give me a chance to meet your local doctor. Well, I uh, guess you can meet him right now if you want to. Doc, this is Ed Hunter. Doc Adams. How do you do, sir? Mr. Hunter? I, uh, I got one of your prisoners locked up, Mr. Hunter, John Allison. Known here as Bunko Benson. Good. I just found out he's the man who tried to kill you tonight. He caught one oh. of your bullets in his arm. 
I see. Why, then it's one down and one to go. There's Calvin Moore. Dr. Calvin Moore. Uh, this is no time to stand around making Chen music. I'm sorry, well, That's Hunter, quite all right, Marshal. I'll go with you. Uh, will you pardon us, please? Uh, all right, will you move back and let us through here, please? Here, here, Doc, this way. Yeah, I'm right, will you, Matt? Uh, please stand back now, will you? Give Doc a chance to yes, work. Yes, uh, please, if you please, just stand back. Uh, oh, oh, bad is right. Uh, well, we'll do what we can. Come on. That man who's hurt, Marshal, who is he? Oh, just a drifter. Been around Dodge a couple of years. Calls himself Texas Joe. No friends or family. Nobody knows where he came from. It's the usual story. Easy now, Tex. We'll have you fixed up here in just a couple of shakes. Is is that you, Doc? That's right. (laughs) I told him, get you. Be all right if you got here. Why, sure, it'll be all right. You just lie still now. Yeah. Certainly has to work under primitive conditions. Doc? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Chester, will you get those lanterns going and give Doc some more light? Yes, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he's the only real doctor this side of Abilene. Really, Mr. Is there anything I can do to help? I guess not, Miss Kelly. Thanks, anyway. Poor old Tex. Why, he stopped in the restaurant not more than four hours ago. I fixed him a meal. Uh, you never know. Well, Doc can pull him through if anybody can. Sure he can. Uh, put one of those lanterns on the other side there, Chester. Yes, you Doc. seem to have a lot of faith in this Dr. Adams. They've got reason to, Mr. Hunter. Uh, Matt, uh, could you give me a hand here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, Doc. Lift his head up just a little bit there, Matt. Yeah, all right. Not much of a chance. All I can do is make him comfortable. Marshal Dillon. Now, don't try to talk, Taxi. You're going to be all right. You, you've been decent to me, Marshal. Mr. Bum, but you treated me square. You and Doc, only friends I got. Sure, Tex. I, I got one more favor to ask. Could someone, could someone read me some scripture? Oh, Tex, I, I just don't recall anything. Oh, so I, I know some. Uh, Mrs. Kelly, I, I doubt if you can hear. I can hear. Please. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Uh, Mrs. Kelly. He restoreth my soul. Uh, Mrs. Kelly. He... Uh, I think that's enough. Poor soul. Well, you can't win them all, I guess. No, you can't win them all, Doctor. Well, I... Doctor, as the only physician here, I suppose you also function as coroner. That's right. This man will be buried under the name of Texas Joe. Hey, don't you worry about that. <clears throat> Boot Hill is full of men buried under nicknames. In this country, we... Doc! Doc, I just came from... Oh, what, Kitty? Well, uh, Doc, I, I've been sitting up with Mrs. B, and you left too soon. She needs you over there right away. Well, then it wasn't a false alarm. No. All right, Kitty, I'll be there just as quick as I can, but... Well, well, as soon as I... Uh, Kitty, you go on back over and do what you can for her, huh? Doc will be along. All right, Matt. You'd better hurry. Well, Mr. Hunter, I, uh... Uh, Gentlemen, this seems to have been my lucky night. Both my fugitives located within an hour of each other. I guess there's nothing I can do One of them safely in jail and one of them dead. What? Didn't you notice the resemblance, Marshal? That Texas Joe there, he's obviously the man in a photograph. I saw it immediately. I hope you'll take all the necessary steps to see that he's buried under his real name, Calvin Moore. His death, of course, closes the case, and I'll be leaving for Virginia with my other prisoner tomorrow. Well, Mr. Hunter, I... 
I just don't know what to say. <laughs> now, I'd say it's no time to stand around making chin music, Dr. Adams. You have a patient waiting, and this town seems to depend on you. Well, of course, but... Hey, you got I... work to do, Doc. And, uh, Doc, make sure it's a boy. Huh? Well, I'll, uh... <laughs> um, I'll do my darndest, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, good night, gentlemen. Good night, Doc. Good night, Doc. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Lou Krugman, Paul Dubov, and Vivi Janice. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden to star in Our Miss Brooks and an episode entitled First Aid Course. For your entertainment and pleasure, here is Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, for many of us, the early morning hours aren't the most cheerful time of the day. So it is with Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Fortunately, however, by the time we've had our second cup of coffee, most of us feel a good deal better. How true that is. I always feel quite a bit better after my second cup of coffee, which I have at 7.30 in the evening. <laughs> but when some extremely fortunate occurrence is impending, I can even be cheerful at breakfast. That was the case last Friday when I joined my landlady in the dinette. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. My, you're in a good humor this morning, Tommy. It is grand to hear you singing like this. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. <laughs> and it's such a nice song, too. The beautiful Blue Danube. <laughs> have always been my favorite. The Strausses, mine too. I wouldn't get my meat anyplace else. <laughs> this reminds me of the last time you were in such high spirits. I'll never forget that morning. You flitted around like a gay little bird. When was that, Mrs. Davis? The day you found out that Mr. Conklin had to stay in bed with the flu. <laughs> so I've got even better news than that today. You mean Mr. Conklin's resigned? Please, Mrs. Davis. Let's not wish for the moon. <laughs> but I did hear that Miss Enright is leaving school for the rest of the semester. She is? Yes. It seems her spinster sister is ill upstate. So Miss Enright's gotten the leave of absence and she's going up to nurse her. You mean Miss Enright's going to nurse her spinster sister for the rest of the semester? Yes. Oh, she'll nurse the spinster sister for the rest of the semester <laughs> and away we'll go. Ooh. Forgive me, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I can't get that blue Danube out of my head. Well, I know Daisy Enright's always been a rival of yours, Connie, so I can't blame you for being happy about her going. 
just leaves you a clear field with Mr. Boynton, doesn't it? Exactly. Now there's nothing between Mr. Boynton and me except Mr. Boynton. <laughs> but, Mr. Davis, you don't seem so enthusiastic about the news. Frankly, I'm not. Miss Enright's been conducting the course in Red Cross First Aid I've been taking three nights a week. Well, cheer up, Mrs. Davis. Even if the course is discontinued, you can take it again next season. But I was hoping to get some practical experience, Connie. <coughs> oh, that's Walter Denton to drive me to school. Be right with you, Walter. <coughs> if you want first aid experience, Mrs. Davis, why don't you come out to the car and watch us take off? <laughs> take off? Yes, the way Walter starts that jalopy, it's ten to one I'll bang my head on the windshield. <laughs> well, now that we're on our way, let's have a nice, smooth ride to school, Walter. Okay, Miss Brooks. Hey, I'm sorry you banged your head on the windshield when we started. Oh, forget it. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> Just try to control your tendency to speed, won't you? Yeah, I'll try. But it's awfully difficult on a beautiful day like today. I think I know how you feel, Walter. I'm rather related, too. I'll bet our joy stems from the same source. The imminent departure of one Daisy Enright. I couldn't be any happier if two Daisy Enrights were leaving. <laughs> I mean, Miss Enright's a very good teacher, Walter. Why should you be happy to see her go? Well, because my mother's been taking her first aid course. And everything she studies, she tries out on my father and me. Well, you shouldn't complain about that, Walter. Your mother's just trying to learn how to take better care of her family. Yeah, she sure took care of me last Monday. Seems she had to do some sprint practice, so naturally she used me. You seem a little flexible for a splint, Walter. <laughs> no, she put the splint on my leg, Miss Brooks. And then, then she told me to walk across the room. And did you? I took one step and fell on my face. <laughs> what did your mother do then? She bandaged my face. <laughs> but with six yards of sterile gauze. <laughs> Could have used more, but my dad had nine yards wrapped around him. <laughs> Your house must have looked like an Arab settlement. Well, with Miss Enright leaving, they'll probably discontinue the class until next year anyhow. But surely you've had similar experiences to mine. Mrs. Davis takes the same course. Doesn't she practice on you? No, Walter. Luckily, I've been out a good deal of the time. Mrs. Davis does all her first aid practicing on our next-door neighbor. Oh, Mrs. Landfield? That's right. Limpy Landfield, we call her. <laughs> Hi, Miss Brooks. Didn't Walter drive you to school today? Yes, Harriet. He'll be along in a minute. Oh, you certainly look radiant this morning, Miss Brooks. What's the reason for the big smile? I just told you Walter drove me to school, Harriet. I always smile when I get out of his car alive. <laughs> Whatever the reason, I'm glad you're so cheerful, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Harriet. Oh, before I forget, Daddy wants to see you in his office immediately. Have you any idea what he wants to see me about? No, but he sounded even more urgent than usual. You better get right on in, Miss Brooks. Very well, Harriet. I'll see you in class. Good luck, Miss Brooks. Enter. <laughs> uh, you wanted to see me, Mr. Conklin? I could answer more truthfully if you rephrased the question. There's something about which you must see me? That's better. Yes. <laughs> Sit down, please. Now, I don't know whether or not you're aware of it, but our school is about to suffer a grievous loss. Miss Enright is leaving. I know. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> Please try to control your sobs. Since her sister is ailing, I've granted Miss Enright a leave of absence effective at once. You see, there's no one else to take care of the poor creature. And so Miss Enright that... will have to nurse a spinster sister for the rest of the semester. Exactly, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Believe me, it is with deep regret that I'll bid farewell to Miss Enright. 
She embodies all those qualities I most esteem in a teacher. She's very capable, Mr. Conklin, and I'm sure that uh, she's you... She's more than capable, Miss Brooks. When Miss Enright goes, I can't help feeling that some part of our school is going with her. Well, we shouldn't begrudge her a few pencils and erasers. <laughs> be back in the fall, Mr. Conklin. I sincerely hope so. Now then, since it is too late in the season to hire outside help, this vacancy must be filled by other members of our faculty assuming additional duties. I think I just heard the school bell, Mr. Conklin, so if you'll excuse me. But there I'll... was no bell, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Sit down. Although her classes will be taken over by Mr. Chalmers, Miss Enright needs another most important post to be filled. Namely, the Red Cross first aid course she conducted three nights a week. There goes that bell again. <laughs> Be seated, Miss Brooks. In mentioning this post to you, I must remind you that in spite of the high honor that goes with the office, there is absolutely no financial recompense whatsoever. That bell is getting louder every minute. <laughs> Look, Mr. Conklin, it's been years since I got my certificate in first aid. Since the Red Cross, like Madison High itself, is run on a purely democratic basis, one may only serve it by exercising one's own free choice to serve. It's purely voluntary. But how do you know I'll volunteer, Mr. Conklin? Miss Brooks. <laughs> do you have a large bank account? I know, sir. And is teaching the only profession with which you're familiar? That's right, sir. And would you like to continue to make a living in this profession, Miss Brooks? Certainly, sir. Well, well then... I hereby exercise my own free, democratic, voluntary choice of saying yes. <laughs> Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, if you were a millionaire and changed all the money you owned into single-dollar bills and pressed those bills together as tightly as you could, you couldn't compress them into a single solitary tree. A tree takes years to grow and mature, and no amount of money can buy that. That's why, even if you're a millionaire, you can't afford a forest fire. On the other hand, even if you don't have a million in the bank, you can still afford the moment or two it takes to make sure a cigarette or matchstick is fully extinguished before you toss it away. And no one is so poor he can't afford that little bit of effort that dousing a campfire requires. Be careful whenever you're in or around a forest area. Help prevent forest fires. <laughs> that I had to take over Daisy Enright's first aid course didn't help my appetite any. Nevertheless, when lunchtime came, I went to the school cafeteria, baited the table with meatloaf, and sat down to wait for Mr. Boynton. But as I toyed with my salad, it was Miss Enright's voice that broke in on my reverie. Well, Miss Brooks, as I live and breathe, two faults that are easily remedied. <laughs> What are you doing, darling? Eating your full little face again? What do you mean, again? I haven't had anything to eat. What do you mean, full little face? <laughs> Just take it easy, darling. We've all got our troubles. Look. Look at what's happening with my poor sister, for instance. It's such a pathetic case. Picture, if you can, a poor, lonely sister with hardly a friend in the world. Practically no one to turn to. I sympathize with you, Miss Enright. Now tell me about your sister. <laughs> what a quaint sense of humor. Now, but there's something I want to discuss with you. Do you mind if I sit down here for a moment? Not at all. I can't digest this food anyway. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I understand that you've been requested to complete my first aid course. Or is the word volunteered? The word is railroaded. <laughs> what I can't figure out is why Mr. Conklin picked on me. 
Oh, you were a natural for the job, my dear. Otherwise, I would never have recommended you. You recommended me? Oh, dear. Now the cat is out of the bag, isn't it? I don't blame you for being self-conscious. <laughs> Mrs. Brooks, are you inferring? If the bag fits, get back in it. <laughs> really going out in the blaze of infamy, aren't you? Going out? Oh, oh, but that's what I sat down to tell you, darling. I'm not going anyplace. My sister has decided to come down here and live with me. Isn't that a relief? Such a relief, I may kill myself. <laughs> well, at least I won't have to conduct those classes of yours. Oh, but you will, darling. That's one of the provisions I made when I agreed to stay. I told Mr. Conklin that I'd have to spend all my free time with my sister, and he said that he didn't mind a bit, as long as you took over for me. As one English teacher to another, Miss Enright, I'd just like to say that I am the one who has been took over. <laughs> I just don't think it's fair for you to... Good step... afternoon, ladies. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. Oh, no, not a thing, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you sit down? Thanks, Miss Enright. Oh, that food you've got looks very appetizing, Mr. Boynton. Oh, yes, I thought I'd take a whirl at the pot roast today. But I kept this plate of meatloaf covered for you, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I can probably handle them both and starve. <laughs> oh, my, that roast looks yummy. And so does the meatloaf. Would you care to try one or the other, Miss Enright? Why don't you try both, Miss Enright? You can feed one of your faces, and I'll feed the other. <laughs> I, uh, I think Miss Brooks is a trifle missed because she's going to have to take over some of my duties. Well, yes, I heard you were leaving, Miss Enright. When are you going? Surprise, surprise. I'm not going at all, Mr. Boynton. You're not? No. Well, that is a pleasant bit of news. Did you hear that, Miss Brooks? Miss Enright's staying on. She's not leaving at all. Isn't that just splendid? <laughs> oh, eat your pot roast. My dear sister is coming to live with me, Mr. Boynton. I'm going to take care of her. Oh, I see. Well, that'll keep you pretty close to home most evenings, won't it? Oh, oh I don't know. One can't look after one's sister every night. Now can one? If one doesn't go out until one's asked, one can. <laughs> Excuse me, I've got several things to do. Oh, do you have to go so soon, Miss Brooks? I'm afraid I do, Mr. Boynton. Here's your check for the meatloaf. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. But uh, where, uh, well, where is your... Uh, I uh, paid my check, Mr. Boynton. Oh, well, so long. Toodle. <laughs> well, before you go, darling, I'd like to remind you that I'm coming over to your house tonight to brush you up on the first aid course. It was Mr. Conklin's idea. What? As a matter of fact, he's coming along with me. But I didn't plan on... He said we'd be there at 8 sharp, Miss Brooks, so you'd better be ready at that time. You know, this first aid course is Mr. Conklin's pet project. Sort of like Mr. Boynton is to certain other members of the faculty. (laughs) If you know what I mean, Mr. Boynton. Huh? I guess it's safe to leave him here for a few minutes. Emperor has spoken. I guess I'll see you tonight, Miss Enright. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Oh, uh, don't stop at the dessert counter, dear. From the back, those calories show like mad. <laughs> if I could plead manslaughter, I'd kill her. <laughs> All the unjust, tyrannical... I'll take it easy, Miss Brooks. You know what talking to yourself is the first sign of, don't you? Yes, Walter, but I don't care. Oh, things can't be that terrible. Tell Uncle Walt what's the matter. It's pretty bad, Unc. (laughs) Miss Enright just told me that she and Mr. Conklin are coming over to my place tonight to brush me up on her first aid course. What's so bad about that? This is a chance to kill two of your favorite birds with one stone. (laughs) If you're going to show them what you remember from your first aid experience, 
you get a chance to not only clobber Miss Enright, but to show Mr. Conklin that you're totally unfit to take over the job. Well, Miss Brooks, what do you think of the scheme? Walter, if we were in France, I'd kiss you on both cheeks and give you the Legion of Honor. Good evening, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Conklin, Miss Enright. Come in, won't you? Thank you. Just leave your coats and heads out here. (laughs) Thank you, darling. Well, are you all prepared for your refresher course? I really don't think it'll be necessary, Miss Enright. You see, I've been rereading my manual, and you'd be surprised how quickly the things I'd learned came back to me. Well, I'm delighted to hear that, Miss Brooks. But if you're going to instruct others, I'd like to see some practical demonstration of this knowledge. Of course, sir. Just follow me into the living room, please. As you can see, I've moved most of the furniture into one corner of the room, and I've got the splints, bandages, and adhesive all ready. Excellent. Now then, let's get right to business. We will suppose that our subject has sustained a fractured elbow and a broken ankle. Let's make it two broken ankles. (laughs) Very well, two broken ankles. Now then, lie down, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Then we can... Wait a minute. Why should I lie down? If someone had sustained two broken ankles and a fractured elbow, is it too unreasonable to assume she'd be lying down? No, sir, but the wrong bones are being broken. That is, I want to show you what I know about first aid. Miss Enright's the one who must lie down. Oh, you want me to pretend I've been through an accident? Believe me, it's typecasting. (laughs) Just crumple, dear. The rug is spotless so far. (laughs) Let's get on with it. Do as she says, Miss Enright. Oh, very well. Now, we'll assume that Miss Enright has been in an automobile accident, and besides having both arms broken, she's in an acute state of shock. Shock? Well, how do I react? As if Mr. Boynton finally asked you for a date. (laughs) Now, my first job is to kneel by her side and take care of the arm. This Silk sleeve seems to be covering up the injury. Miss Brooks, this is a brand new dress. Please, what do you want to be, neat or cured? (laughs) Now, it's it's obvious from the looks of this arm that it's badly injured. Where my fingers touch, it's all black and blue. See, Mr. Conklin? Where? Where is it black and blue? Ouch! Right there. (laughs) Now, hand me that catsup bottle, please, Mr. Conklin. Well, here you are, but what's it for? Realism. This was a pretty bad accident, remember? Oh, Brooks, you're ruining my dress. Quiet, you're in a state of shock. <laughs> now we'll start bandaging the arm. First, I put the splint gently against the skin. Oh! <laughs> then I start the roller bandage here. <clears throat> now I wrap the gauze with one arm this way. Yes, go on. Then I put the other arm through and tie the bandage this way. Now, I reverse the process, again bringing the other arm through the bandage and wrapping it securely. Uh, now what? Now, if someone will untie my arms, I'll continue. <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, can you or can you not tie a firm bandage? This splint was a bit too rough, Mr. Conklin, but if Miss Enright will let me use one of her legs... Now, see here, Miss Brooks. Now, please, please cooperate, Miss Enright. Stand up and let's see if Miss Brooks can tie a firm bandage on your leg. Well, if you insist, Mr. Conklin, there. Now then, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just stand nearby and hand me a few things. Very well, very well. Uh, First, please pass me the adhesive. Here you are. Now, we'll take down your stocking, Miss Enright. There. And wrap this adhesive nice and tight. There. Oh, Miss Brooks, but you don't put adhesive next to the skin. First, the bandage must come. Your so right, darling. Off you come, adhesive. <laughs> now, now we take this bandage and... Oh, uh, hand me a splint, please, Mr. Conklin. Uh, here, here. The idea is to get a good, steady support for the leg. Around we go with the bandage, all around the splint. Another bandage, please, Mr. Conklin. Here's one. Now we wrap this around the other one. Now the adhesive, round and round and round. There! 
How does that feel? Solid? Very, Very solid. solid. Good grief, you've tied Miss Enright's leg to mine. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. I thought one of those legs had more wool on it than the other. <laughs> Bandage untied. I'll have to tear this splint out first. Ouch! There's a big splinter right in my thumb. Good. Now, for your next test, let's suppose that somebody's got a big splinter right in his thumb. Oh, I'll get it. Mr. Boynton, come on in. Well, I just dropped by to return a book I borrowed from Mrs. Davis, but... Oh, you've got company. Please join us, Mr. Boynton. Oh, good evening, Mr. Conklin, Miss Enright. Say, what are you doing, having a three-legged race? <laughs> Don't be funny, Boynton. There has been an accident. <laughs> What's that on Miss Enright's dress? Oh, no. How do you like that? A biology teacher who faints at the sight of catsup. I didn't faint, Miss Brooks. I, I just slipped on this scatter rug. Well, stop jabbering, everyone. I've got to get this splinter removed. Would you like me to probe, Mr. Conklin? <laughs> Keep away from me, you angel of destruction. Never fear, Mr. Conklin. Daisy Enright's on the job. I'll get it out for you in just a jiffy. Now, here's a nice green pin. Now, give Daisy your thumb. Come on, come to Daisy. Down, Daisy, down, girl. Here. Here, Miss Enright. Now, please be careful. Oh, there's nothing to it, Mr. Conklin. There, it's out. Say, that didn't hurt a bit. Remarkable, Miss Enright. You know, everyone should master first aid. I've been thinking of taking that course myself. You have? Yes. I'd like to sign up right now for the balance of the semester. It's a deal. Monday night at 8, I throw out the first bandage. Over my limp carcass, you do. <laughs> Miss Enright? I'll move heaven and earth if you take over your old cough. Oh, well, that won't be necessary, Mr. Conklin. Now, she's halfway to heaven already. <laughs> oh, well, Miss Enright, there's just one question I'd like to ask you. Yes, Miss Brooks? What sort of splint does one use after one cuts one's throat? <laughs> Once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin was so delighted at Miss Enright's decision to resume her first aid class that he insisted on treating her to an ice cream soda before taking her home. So they were out of the house before I could reach her jugular vein. <laughs> That's when I got out my Red Cross manual. If, uh, if you're so interested in first aid, Mr. Boynton, maybe we could practice a bit before your first lesson. Oh, I'd love to, Miss Brooks. Uh, here's an interesting problem. It deals with a back injury. For want of a better subject, let's just say I'm the injured party. Now, you place your left arm around my shoulders. Like this? <sighs> yes. <laughs> then your right arm goes around my waist. Like this. What does the book say we should do next? Never mind the book. Ad lib a little. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Byrne, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Alsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. 
Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Mary Jane Cross. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust, next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.